Well, I'm calling this, it's your turn. And will you believe with me? Can we agree together that it's actually your turn? Actually your turn. It's actually your turn. God has freed me to say this stuff. And I say it with reverence because it's easy to stand up and declare it's your turn when it's not your turn. But God has freed me to say this. It's your turn. So, Lord God, I just pray that you can shift our mindsets. I pray that we can each individually and corporately hear your voice. Get in step with you. Hear your heartbeat, Lord God. And my prayer, Father, is that everyone here and everyone in our church life and everyone who might even listen to this podcast would step into their dream. That it genuinely, actually would be your turn. So shift us, Lord God, I pray. And all God's people said, turn to three people and say, it's really your turn. (laughs) So I'm going to start this uh, as a series Based on what I just said, I'm away for two weeks, so I'm calling this It's Your Turn, the preface. It's the thought before the thought. And the reason I want to do this, and please encourage people who aren't here to listen to this, the reason I want to do this is because if you're going to take this seriously, and I believe you will, you might want to pray into this over the next couple of weeks because I'm going to come back even more fired up than I am now because I'm going into that environment. And if you're ready... You know, I'm ready to give it. Sometimes the people aren't ready to hear it. In the next two weeks, can you prepare yourself to hear it? Because it's one thing to hear it, but then you need your heart right and your feet right to walk it out. Because if it's really going to be your turn, and I believe it is, we can't live the same. So are we going to be prepared to say, Lord, do in me what you need to do in me so I can walk out my turn? And do you understand what I'm saying by saying your turn? I'm sure that there are people here who are looking for a romantic relationship, wanting to have a baby, looking for the promotion at work, looking for a financial breakthrough, looking for growth or success, in some, looking for a different health report, looking for something in your life. And all the while you're, you're doing that and looking for it and not yet getting it, everyone else is getting their turn. And you're a Christian person, so you want to be happy for them. Chuffed that you're still not in a relationship and they've just met their partner. Really happy for them. Come on, people. Of course, we are happy for them at one level. But on the other level, on the other level why is it never my flipping turn? Does anyone relate to that kind of stuff? Oh, come on, people. I know I'm talking to you. But God is saying, it's your turn. Yes, it's the person next to your turn, but it's also your turn. Can I start stirring something up in your thought process to actually start believing that? I think sometimes we live life for so long and we miss our turn and we miss our turn and we miss our turn that we stop believing it's ever going to be our turn. Well, God stirred something up in me to say from the front to you, it's your turn. I think getting in you. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, believe it. <laughs> Okay, let's have a little look at this. I want to start this thought process by looking at the Israelite people, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, um, at that period where Moses enters the scene, because they've been in slavery to Pharaoh for 20 generations. 20 generations. And we were celebrating just now with, with Daniel and Sarah, married for a generation. Chris and Robin, married for two generations. These people have been, been in slavery for 20 generations. They don't know anything different. 
I'm sure they didn't want to be in slavery, but they don't know any different. Do you think they ever thought it was going to be their turn? Is this my lot in life? So we're going to enter the scene here. And what's happened is God has seen his people. He's saying, I need to do something here. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to demonstrate something to generations to come. I'm going to demonstrate something to equip us Essex in 2019. That actually, even though it's been a long time coming, your turn is here. And he stirs something in Moses, and Moses was quite reluctant. Moses had a stammer. We know he had a stammer. He struggled with his speech. And the assignment he was given was to talk. I hope that encourages you. Because sometimes God asks you to do stuff, and you think, I could never do that. Well, the one thing Moses struggled with was speaking. And what did God ask him to do? Go and speak to Pharaoh. And he was like, I can't do that. Or probably said, I can't do that. But he said, you're the man. Stop fighting me on this. You're the man. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. And we're all familiar with that. So he approaches the most powerful man on the planet at the time. Let's not dumb it down. He was approaching the most powerful man on the planet with a stammer, with a message from God. Asking him or telling him to do something he didn't want to do. Let God's people go. We enter the fray just after that's happened. Uh, It's in Exodus chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 7 to 11, and then I'm going to jump to verse 15 to 21. Here we go. Um, You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. This is Pharaoh talking to to his slave drivers. Don't give them straw anymore. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. So Pharaoh's initial response to Moses going to him and saying, let the people go, was to say, who do you think you are? In fact, because you've said that, I'm going to make it worse. You're going to make bricks, but I'm removing the straw that you used to make bricks. Go and get your own straw now, but you've still got to do the same in the same amount of time. Anyone ever worked for that kind of boss? <laughs> Everyone at the back's like, yes, me. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. Tough times. Next On to verse 15. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble. Turn to the person next to you and say they realized they were in trouble. When they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So we can picture the scene. They have been in slavery for 20 generations. 
They've had to make bricks and make bricks and build Pharaoh's empire, all under the conditions of a slave. And the reality is they know no different. But do you know that freedom is complicated? I need you to get your complicated heads on today. You're a clever bunch. You see, we want to declare freedom. We want to declare it's your turn. We want to declare good stuff, and I believe in that. But walking it out isn't as simple as just declaring it. Walking it out is actually complicated. Pharaoh makes life difficult for them by saying you've got to do the same job with less materials. And it's at that point the leaders realize they're in trouble. They were already in trouble. They've been slaves for 20 years, 20 generations, and it's only at this point when it gets a little bit harder, they realize they're in trouble. They go to Moses, and now they make Moses the bad guy. You've made it worse for us. We are now obnoxious in Pharaoh's sight. No, you were already obnoxious in Pharaoh's sight. You're slaves. He does not care one iota for you. You're already obnoxious. But you only realize you're obnoxious when it gets a little bit harder. Let me give you a a thought here. If you need more trouble to make you realize you're in trouble, it means you've made friends with the trouble you're in. Deep. I'm going to say it again because it might sink. If you need more trouble to make you realize you're in trouble, it means you've made friends with the trouble you're in. You've got so used to this difficulty, it's become your norm. And the only way you're going to shift out of that norm is if it gets harder. Can you see the concept? So something special is happening here. You realize it's proper messed up when Moses becomes the enemy. He's the one sent from God to set them free. And because it gets a bit more difficult, they hate Moses. It's messed up. And the reality is, and it's true for us today, things become generational. If 20 generations of people have lived and thought a certain way. It's really hard to break that. Biblically speaking, the Bible talks of three generations becoming permanent. Have you ever noticed that when God announces himself, he says, I am the father of, um, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He doesn't carry on with Judah and Perez and every other descendant. He says three. And the reason that is, is when it hits three generations, God knows it becomes a permanent thing. And so here's the dilemma for us today. How often do we see cycles in life where you find yourself living like your parents did? And they found themselves living like their parents did. In terms of the kind of job you might go for, in terms of the habits you're going to form, in terms of the lifestyle you're going to live, in terms of the things you might eat and drink and socialise. It becomes generational because it's your norm. Can we all relate to that? We can all see family cycles. It is, it's the norm. The difficulty is, if we want a different result, we have to break the norm. And that's complicated. So it's easy to stand up and say it's a new day for you. But it can only be a new day if you can walk out the new day. And that means walking out differently. Can you see the struggle? So it's complex. And the reason I need to go through this series as a series is because I can't just give it in one go. And we need to develop it because change needs to come. If we want to be free from the things that are holding us back, we don't need just to declare freedom. We need to be able to walk out the freedom. And it's a different thing. Are you with me? Have you ever heard of something called the Stockholm Syndrome? 
Ever heard of that? Let me unpack what that is. In 1973, when I was two years old, in 1973, there was a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, the robbers made a plan, and they were going to go in, take the money, and, and get out, like I guess robbers would plan to do. And uh, they get in there, and I don't know exactly how it panned out, but it went a bit wrong, and they ended up holding the bank staff hostage for a full week. It went belly up, they got locked in, and they held them hostage for a whole week. Armed robbers. And so clearly there's the police and there's the governmental figures and everyone getting involved from the outside. And they were in a whole bunch of trouble. The, the chief of the robbers, the head of the robbers and his gang should have all been getting between 20 and 40 years for aggravated armed robbery. But when they took them to trial, not one member of the bank staff would testify against them. Not one. And so the, the, the leader of the gang got 10 years and the others got five, all because they couldn't actually pin it on them because the bank staff wouldn't testify against them. Do you know why? All the bank staff said, we felt safer with the robbers than we did with the police outside waving their guns around. They treated us well. They got our medicines in. They gave us food. They were kind to us. We actually felt really safe. They were really nice men. And right there, it's that idea, you're under armed robbery, you're under threat. Oh, but it's quite nice. And so they wouldn't testify against them. And it becomes, it's become known as the Stockholm Syndrome, that you're in trouble, but it's so comfortable being in trouble, you don't want to speak out against it. Do you see? And I feel like, and I'm going to lay it down soon, we all live like that. We get so friendly and acquainted with the situation we're in. It's just okay, I'll get on. But we want to come to church and declare a new day and freedom and the next big thing in God. But we still want to carry on living our little lives because it's, it's nice. We're living with the robbers. Can you see the picture? And there needs to be a shift. And what God did here demonstrated something to us. He stirred Pharaoh up to cause more trouble. Here's the thing. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the planet. He wasn't a mug. He led thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He knew what the score was. Who knows? When Moses rocked up and said, there is going to be a plague of frogs, and then there was a plague of frogs, Pharaoh's like, oh, okay, that's awkward. Who knows? When that happened, Pharaoh came, uh, Moses came back and said, let the people go. And he said, no. He said, well, now there's going to be a plague of locusts. And there was a plague of locusts. Who knows? Pharaoh's not stupid. He's thinking, whatever these guys say is happening. It's real. Who knows at that point, a clever leader thinks, it's better just to let them go now. I think, and it's just my opinion, that Pharaoh at that point, in the natural, would have said, I'm just going to let this go. It's not that important to me. My home is covered in frogs and locusts. We're losing everything. This is a disaster. There's something special on these guys because he was a clever man. But the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why did God have to harden Pharaoh's heart? And it wasn't for the sake of, 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 of Pharaoh. It was for the sake of the people because the people needed to see the power of God. The people needed to look at God and say, I can trust him. He is all-powerful. Well, when he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, it started to shift something in their mentality, which was 20 generations deep, understanding, helping them to understand, I can trust God. 
Can you trust God? Is he good to you? Is he powerful enough to bring your dream into reality? Or do you find yourself with the bank robber? Funny story about Stockholm Syndrome. One of the bank staff, after the five-year term of his jail, jail term, married one of the bank robbers. <laughs> True story. And it's just like, it's almost like hilarious. And we laugh, don't we? We laugh like that until we look at our own lives. And we start realizing we've married the bank robber. Because that thinking that has brought you this far in life and not worked is still your thinking. It's in here. You know, that habit that has caused your life to go like that is still your habit. And you have proven to yourself it doesn't get you where you want it to be. But it's comfortable and it's okay. So I walk arm in arm with my bank robber and I'm getting on with life. It's really nice. I really wish and hoping my life's going to change, but it's comfortable. We're married to the bank robber. We're comfortable with the trouble we're in. It's not what we hoped for, but it's comfortable and we like it. And God says, let my people go. God says, I'm going to demonstrate to you I'm all powerful and I can provide for you. I can bring hope for you. I can crash walls down for you. I can bring it for you. But you have to change what's going on in here. And you have to change what's going on in here. And you have to walk differently. Otherwise, we're just married to the bank robber. Can you see the picture? And it's true. Of, I know there's silence in the room because you're thinking, oh, he's speaking to me. I want to see you free. God wants to see you free. The thing is, eventually, the Israelite people did get free. And Moses took them away. And they ended up in the wilderness, which was supposed to be a short journey to the promised land. But they died in the wilderness. They didn't make it. And do you know why? Because although they were free, they still had a slave mindset. They were free, but they didn't know how to live free. And they became frustrated. And they said things like this to Moses. Moses, why did you bring us out here? We were better off back there. What? You were making bricks for no pay while being beaten. You were better off back there. And sometimes I feel like that's true of us. We live our lives frustrated that we can't have something else. But when the something else comes, unless we can change our mind and live and enjoy that, we'll just look back and go, it was better over there, which we were sad in in the first place. Can you see the picture? So if it's going to be your turn, and I believe it is, you can't stay the same. And the trouble is, as people, we like to stay the same. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to change. We had this idea, you know, where we look at things and you think, well, it's not the life I hoped for and... It's, it's okay, and, but, but at least I feel in control. At least I know what tomorrow looks like. At least I know what I'm doing with it like this. And all the while, we're watching someone else have their turn. All the while, we're watching someone else get their breakthrough when God wants it to be your turn. But the reason too often it's not been your turn is because you're not able to change your mindset to be able to handle what's coming. And God is saying to you today, come on, prepare. This is why I'm giving this message today. I'm going to start this series in two weeks' time. Would you start going to God on your knees saying, do in me what you've got to do in me? Because do you know what? I've got a good life, but I know there's more. 
You know, I, I do okay, but I know there's more. Jesus came to give me the fullest, most abundant life. And I don't think there's many people who could wave their hand and say, I genuinely have the fullest, most abundant life. Yet Jesus paid for it. So why aren't we walking in it? And I want to say it's because we got comfortable with the trouble we're in. It's okay. I can handle this bit of trouble. It's not too bad. I'm getting by. It's all right. I'm reasonably happy. Well, reasonably happy isn't laugh out loud abundant joy. I want to see people laugh out loud abundant joy. You. But can you see the process? It's not as complicated as any preacher standing up and going, in Jesus' name, you are free. It's got to be something you can walk in. God's people didn't know how to walk in it. Our strap line. Our mission statement as Equippers Church is this, equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. And that sounds a great strap line, but what that really means is helping people to break out of wrong thinking that has held them back all their life and point them towards God thinking, which will propel them forward. Do you see? And it's like, if we can do that, but that takes time. It's this word discipleship. It's not about me getting up here and giving one good word. It's about walking hand in hand and saying, I used to think like that. I can see why you used to think like that. But have you thought about thinking like this? Because this is what God's word says about it and it breeds life. Oh, okay. I need to change my thinking, don't I? If I change my thinking, suddenly I'm not living over here, which was okay. I'm living over here, which is way better. And maybe you get a bit more mature and you challenge yourself to get a bit closer to Jesus and take another step. And, and now, long, now you're, not, you're not here or there, you're here. And Jesus is saying, yes, it really is your turn. Yes, that thing you hope for, you're breaking free because you're changing your thought process. And it's a journey. It's not a moment. But it has to start somewhere. And could it start during this season for you? Can I stir some faith in you? Come on, it really is. It really is. Here's the thing. The issue for the Israelite people wasn't settled by Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. They needed to see the power of God at work. They needed to see. They needed to learn to trust him. But the issue wasn't let my people go. The bigger question was, will my people let go? Can you see? God wants you free from whatever it is that holds you back. Whether you're someone who lives on the edge, always struggling financially. And I know that's very common today. Do you know what? God doesn't want you struggling financially. He doesn't. He wants you to have the abundant life. But you know what he does? He puts savvy businessmen and women people in the church who can teach us how to handle money. And the word's got st- the word God's word talks more about money than any other topic. I'll get Rob in. Have you ever heard Pete Brandish talk on money? It's so, so good. And it's not just about giving. It's about stewardship and handling it. And when you go, oh, if I did it God's way, suddenly I'm not living here anymore. I'm living here. Because God says, I can bless that. I can bless that. You're learning to live in it now. It's not just a moment. It's a life. Can you see? God is challenging his people to let go of what's always held you back. Can I suggest in this time, you don't need a friend? You're like a friend. Give me a wave. You've got a good friend. got loads of good friends. Although I think really good friends are few and far between, but it's good to have friends. But what friends do, in the midst of your struggle and you're having that bad day and you're in the middle of this okay life, but then you have a bad day in the okay life, you're like, oh, you want to rant at someone. And this is what a friend does. A friend comes and takes you for a beer or takes you for a coffee or goes for a walk or whatever it is you like to do. And they put your arm around you and they go, oh, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. They sympathize. And it's nice, isn't it? Rubs the old heart, rubs the old, oh, I feel better now. Nothing has changed. 
Literally nothing has changed. But I feel a little bit better about it. But the trouble is you wake up tomorrow in the same situation. See, you don't need a friend. You need an irritant. You need someone to rattle your cage so much that you get fed up with this life. It's not okay anymore. There's more to it than this. I don't want to be doing this stupid flipping job all my life. There's more in me than this. I'm frustrated. I don't want to be having these health issues all my life. No. I'm getting irritated by it. Which means I have to change how I think and change how I walk. It's not just about someone going, there, there, it'll be all right. Changes nothing. But please be a friend that goes there, there and be all right. Because there's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't change anything. And what God is looking for and what you're actually looking for is change, isn't it? You don't want to be in the same place in a year's time looking back going, I'm still struggling with this health issue and and I'm still struggling with this attitude and I've still got the same habits and I'm still speaking like that. Why do I even do that? But I do. It's because we got comfortable with the trouble. And God is saying, it's now your turn. But if you really want it to be your turn, I'm going to irritate you a little bit. Might be a bit uncomfortable. But don't you know, the Israelite people demonstrated something. It got uncomfortable. It got harder. Make more bricks. Really? Oh, no. Oh, flipping stupid Moses. Ugh. So as I'm giving this, mo- this message, don't start saying flipping stupid Barry, all right? <laughs> but I desperately want to see you walking in your promise. God desperately wants to see you walking in your promise. But you can't walk in your promise and stay the same. You just can't. Something needs to shift in here and in here. But you can do it. Going there, 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 which is kind and nice and I get it. But what it's doing is it's feeding people's stuckness. Just keeping them there. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. And they go away thinking, oh, it's a bit better. And the next day's the same. You're feeding people's stuckness. And come on, it's got to stop. You need an irritant. Pharaoh was an irritant. He made things harder. By, by going to Pharaoh making things harder, it actually made them realize we're in trouble. They were always in trouble, but they didn't realize they were in trouble. But when things got harder, they realized they were in trouble. Yeah? So you might go for a phase where you're like, I I know I've got to change now. This is rubbish. God doesn't want a rubbish life for you. He wants you to be representing heaven. I'm not saying it's all roses and twinkly stars. I'm not saying that. But when you're in difficulty, it's how you handle the difficulty that declares heaven. But when you're on the high at the top of the mountain, it's how you celebrate the high at the top of the mountain. And it's that trajectory in life that generally I'm getting going up rather than I'm doing this. I'm sure we can all relate to that. How about we say every day I'm going to take a step closer to Jesus. Every day I'm going to challenge my thought process. Every day I'm going to watch how I'm speaking. Every day I'm going to change my habits because I want to be more like Jesus. And then I start stepping away from the trouble I'm in. And sometimes you need to be irritated to do that. Here's a caveat. In Ephesians 4, there's this lovely passage that talks about speaking the truth in love. Let me wave you're familiar with that passage. There's two facets to this. In Christendom, in the, in the church, we often are really horrible to each other under the guise of speaking the truth in love. Anyone ever had that? Yeah. The honest people have said yes. Oh, you know, I'm going to say something really unkind and cruel and horrible to you, but I'm only telling you the truth in love. Oh, shut your face. You're just using the Bible to say what you want to say. But here's the truth. If you're with someone who you know loves you, if you're with someone who you respect and you know wants the best for you, 
sometimes speaking the truth in love is saying that way you're living, the way you're speaking, the lifestyle you've created, it's not cool. And I love you enough to say the hard thing. And what does that do? It becomes an irritant. Oh, they might go away from me. I'm stupid. Barry always says things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I don't mind being the bad guy if I irritate you out of your trouble. Because I'm fed up with seeing brilliant people living mediocre lives. And God is fed up with seeing his people living mediocre lives. Mediocre is not okay. Because Jesus said, I came for the abundant life. And so if we're living a mediocre life, we're not living the Jesus life. I want to see people bounding in saying, I had an epic week. I tell you what, this happened, that happened, the other thing happened. It wasn't all good because this happened too. But you know what? I'm dealing with that. But I'm generally heading towards Jesus. But you can't do that and live the mediocre life. And that causes you to think differently, to act differently. Moses was a liberator. A liberator is someone who rolls in and, and declares something different. It's like when the tanks roll in at the end of the war. They roll in and now the tanks are here. And it's time for them to wave the white flag and give up because the tanks are, It's a liberation moment. Do you get it? I was trying to think in my lifetime. Does anyone remember the time when they pulled down Saddam Hussein's statue? See, that was a liberation moment. It was done. It was like, yes, we're liberated. That wasn't freedom. See, freedom is learning to live differently without the slave driver. That's freedom. Liberation is the moment it happens. Freedom is walking it out. Do you see? So I could stand up here and say, in Jesus' name, this is a liberation moment. I break you free from your past. I break you free from all that's come your way. But that's not freedom. Freedom is you walking out there going, I believe that, and now I'm going to act differently. And that takes a journey. And so the journey starts in this series today. So my challenge to you is to go away and get on your knees or get in your quiet space or sit on your toilet or whatever it is you do and say, God, help me to wrestle this through. What does that look like for me? What do I need to do differently? Where do I need to challenge myself? I want to be irritated out of my mediocreness. Because come on, church, we represent heaven. And we do that reasonably well, but wouldn't it be good if we were epic at it? Freedom is living differently away from the slave driver. I think probably in church life, and there's people in this church that have been around church life for decades, I think you'll, you'll agree with me. I think it's quite fair that the church has become majors on liberation and minors on freedom. You know, we set the same people free every week. We had this thing you know, at the beginning when we first started the church and we majored a lot on hands-on ministry and, and I agree and believe in that and it's, it's powerful and effective. But you'd pray for someone and you know, they'd get the old shakes on and the Holy Spirit would be on them and some people would fall over and be zapped in the Spirit and it was really exciting. Next week, uh, the call for a seminar, there they are back again. The next week, there they are back again. And it came to the point where me and Sarah, we've had a little list before church. Who's going to come forward? And we got it right every single week. Why? Because we were brilliant at liberation. In Jesus' name, you're free. But they couldn't walk out the freedom, so they just came back the week after. And it's draining. God doesn't want to just liberate us. He wants to free us. And we need to change something in our lifestyle and our approach and our thinking so that we can live differently to have a different experience. Am I making some sense here? The, the trouble is, I can come up here and declare you debt-free in Jesus' name. And you'll be going, yes, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. But the trouble is, the person you owe the money to is not in the meeting. <laughs> you still owe the money. 
So the reality is there's a liberation moment where there's a point in your life where you stop thinking like someone in debt and start acting like someone who has the ability to get out of debt. And that's a process. That's where you get around someone who's good with finances and say, this is my situation. I believe it's a marking point for me today that I want, don't want to live like this anymore. That's liberation. Walking free is saying, I'm putting 20 quid away every single week to pay that debt off, to pay that debt off, so that in a year's time, I'm free from the debt. Liberation moment was in church when pastor stood up and said, in Jesus' name. That was a liberation moment. Freedom's when you walk it out. Can you see the difference? And we need to help each other do that. That's why we have people all across the church who are great with finances, who are great with relationships, who are great with health, who are great with with counselling and just helping you through some stuff. Because we can declare you free, but unless you start living and thinking differently, you don't walk free and you end up back at the front for the same issue next week. And it's tiring and mediocre and boring. Let's have some freedom. Amen? I can declare you healthy in Jesus' name. But the reality is the cake shop's still next door. And unless we're prepared to change, it's just a liberation moment and a nice phrase. We have to live different. Come on, you know. Hold on, you, you, you do the math. You do the math. It's, it's there, isn't it? I believe in encounters. And I believe in liberation moments. Still do. And I'll continue to do that because I think they're powerful. But what I want to do is see a church equipped not just to be liberated, but to live free. So that you step into your turn. That you don't get free only to carry on living the same way and find yourself back at the same place watching everyone else have their turn. It's your turn. But to do that, I'm going to irritate you a little bit. So prepare yourself, church. But it's because I love you. Speaking the truth in love. (laughs) We need to learn to live free. This is can we disciple? Can we live how God's word tells us to live? Do you know, God is the author of life. See, if the author of life, he might have a vague idea on how to live life. Because he's the author of life. He might be the best man on the planet to tell us how to live life. But what we actually do is we come to church and praise Jesus and live life our own way. And then wonder why we're stuck. Whereas if we could teach each other and train each other about all aspects, it's all in there. How to handle money, how to handle relationships, how to handle food, how to handle trouble, how to handle hurt and rejection, how to handle success, how to be a parent, how to be married. It's all in there. And if we start learning it and start slowly but surely stepping towards it, we don't end up stuck in mediocre land. We start stepping towards the abundant life Jesus always had for us. But it's a journey. But could this be a liberation moment where we think, okay, I've been stuck in this place for a long time. Now, I'm not saying my life's the worst life in the world, but it's not what I hoped for. So today's a liberation moment where I sit down and I say, God, do something in my thinking. Do something in my heart. Help me to break the habits. Because do you know what? I look at my parents and I'm living how my parents lived. It's this cycle. And I know they lived how their parents lived. And they probably lived how their parents lived. And there's a generational cycle in your family where you're all ending up doing the same thing. Because we do. It's what's modelled to us. But Jesus said, those who the sun sets free are free indeed. And so you come to a place where you're like, I'm breaking the cycle and I'm starting a new cycle. And you know what? My kids are going to follow my example and they're going to go further. So you're not even just fighting for you. You're fighting for the next generation and the generation after that. 
Now, I believe this, and it's great having Chris and Robin sat with us. I believe they fought for some stuff. And what they fought for has enabled Becky to step into something that they already fought for. And she's married this epic man called Ian, who's on the second row. And now you're seeing their children demonstrate something because grandparents fought for it. They changed a cycle. I don't know if it was your generation, but it might have been. But you see the point I'm trying to make. It's so good to see Noah up here giving his testimony, wasn't it, at Baptism Sunday. And the other children there, similar. But the reason they can do that is because someone else fought for something. They broke a cycle that says, we've wrestled, but you're not going to wrestle because we're going to make a line in the sand to say we're changing something. And what it does, it creates an opportunity for it actually to be your turn. It's your turn. John 8.32 says this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to demonstrate his love for you. And here you are wrestling with life out of relationship with God. And Jesus goes to a cross and says, I love you. Everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven. I'll take it. I'll take it. I love the picture. We're all going to stand before God at one day. Everyone, church and unchurched, knows Judgment Day. We've talked, there's films about it and all sorts. It's going to happen. But I'm going to sit on the judgment seat before God, quaking in my boots, thinking, should have preached better, should have preached better, should have preached better. <laughs> and then Jesus is going to come next to me. And he's going to say, Barry, stand up. And I'll go, oh, okay. And Jesus is going to sit in my judgment seat. Not me. Because Jesus took my sin and shame and everything I've ever done wrong, thought wrong or said wrong. And still do sometimes. And God's going to look at his son. And Jesus is going to go, he's with me. And he'll go, thank you. That's love. That's truth. That's my truth. I'm not going to get judged. Jesus got judged on my behalf. But the truth that sets me free to live is the truth that's in his word. About how am I going to handle my money? How am I going to treat my wife? How am I going to bring up my children? How am I going to handle it when people criticize me? It's all in the book and it's the truth. And it's the truth that enables me to live free. Can you see? And that is the life I want to live. And that is the life I want you to live. Because it's in that place that God says, now it's your turn. Because you can handle your turn. I'm sure there'll be people here who'd wish they had more money. But the reality is with your current mindset, you couldn't handle more money. You'd blow the lot. And God's like, if I could only train you. I could trust you with more. There are people here who'd like to have a different health report. And God's saying, if only you'd change your thinking, start living differently, your health would come. There's people here who'd love to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife. And God's like, if only you could just shift yourself and be happy with who you are, I could place you in someone else's life. Because two broken people don't make one whole person. They make two broken people. And God's like, I'm doing something in you. Allow me to do that in you because the dream of being with someone you'll step into. But first you need to be irritated. Am I building a picture for you? I'm saying all of this today because I'm going away for a fortnight. And I want to challenge you to wrestle. If there's a particular dream in your heart and you're thinking of that even as I'm saying it. How about consider fasting? One day. One meal. Three days. A week something to say, God, I'm serious about this. I don't want Barry to have a liberation moment and declare it's my time. I want it to be my time. Are you with me? 
That's why I'm saying it today. I will kind of end up leaving it hanging and I'll go away. But I know I'm going to come back pumped, so it's going to be good. Here's my final thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So how about this thought? If the Holy Spirit is here, who knows that when we worship like we did today and people raise their hands, you know God's here. You just know God's here because the Spirit's in the room. And the Holy Spirit's biggest desire is for you to say, come and live in me. And you see, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. If the Spirit of God is in you, there has to be freedom because there can't not be. But I know that the Spirit is often depicted as a dove. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and a dove came down. And who knows, if you look at the Spirit as a dove, and the dove's resting on your shoulder doing life with you, you have to be careful. Because you do that, and the dove flies away. And it's like, could we start living lives bearing in mind, I'm carrying the dove. So if I want to lash out and be unkind and let rip at someone, the dove's not going to be part of that. If I want to steal something, punch someone, do something unkind, that's not going to be part of that. So it stops us in our tracks thinking, is the way I'm living, is what I'm saying, is how I'm thinking enabling me to hold the dove? Because when I hold the dove, there's freedom. Do you see? So it is a liberation moment. It is a line in the sand to say, come on, it's different now. But it's learning to live day by day differently so that you don't just have a liberation moment, you live in freedom. Are you with me? Are you excited about these next few weeks? I want to believe that by the end of this calendar year, there will be people in this room that say, wow, something shifted in that season. Something changed in me. My life is different. I find myself in a different position. And I know God did something. But it irritated me. And we don't like change. But we're going to change. Is anyone up for the challenge to fight for a better life? Not just for you, but for generations to come. That's why we're fighting for this church. And we fight for a church because I want to see people who run church come into a church and go, wow, this is amazing. Well, it's only amazing because you fought for it. You came in on the sunny day when you could have been at the beach at the barbecue, but you came in because you're fighting for something. Bless you. Generations will be blessed by you. And it can be irritating because it's easy not to, but you came. So bless you. That is a great, great start. But I want to leave with this. Can we learn together? Can we grow together? Can we, in the best sense of the word, irritate each other? Because I want to say it again. It's your turn. Will you stand up? I'd love to pray with you. Come on, if you're willing, let's have everyone closed. Father, I thank you for every person stood here. Bless them. I thank you for every person who listened to this in any media platform. Lord God, bless them. I declare a liberation moment. It's your turn. It's your turn. What has gone before can't hold you anymore. But Lord, I cry out that you would irritate us enough to help us to change. Not to assume it's my turn and stay the same, but to grab hold of my turn and be willing to change. It's not let my people go, it's will my people let go. 
We let go of bad habits. We let go of hurts. We forgive the people who have hurt us. We're not going to stay here anymore because there's an abundant life waiting for us. And I challenge you, step into it because it is the will of the Father. It's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. Grab hold of it by the scruff of the neck and be blessed. Father, I just want to ask that you'd seal it in. I know so often what happens is we get under a ministry like this and we pray a good prayer and we go out of the building. The very next thing that happens is difficult. Or something difficult happens on Monday and it tries to rob us. Well, I ask, Lord God, for protection that this will not be robbed from people. But actually faith will be stirred and stirred and stirred that actually I'm changing so it can be my turn. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just as every eye is closed, I always want to give opportunity. There are people here today that are far from Jesus. And you're thinking, do you know what? I want to be close to Jesus. I understand it a bit better today. There's something stirring in me that makes me want to say, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. If that's you, just give me a wave. I'm going to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you right here. Anyone else? God bless you near the back there. Thank you. Lord. You can put your hands down. Come on, church. Let's pray. So good when people are doing business with the Father. I'll pray a line, you pray it with me. Father God, thank you that you love me. Today, I invite you to live in my heart. Lead me forward. Show me the way. And I submit to you. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And my future is secure. Amen. Let's give Father a round of applause.